Hey gang, welcome back to the Backdoor Cover Network. And this is Betting Everything with Wheels. As always, I'm joined by my main man, Steve. Steve, what's happening? What's happening, buddy? We got uh, something new going on tonight, so let's talk about it. Yeah, this is a uh, monumental occasion. We've got NASCAR Craftsman Truck Series driver, Stephen Malozzi in the house. Stephen, what's up? Hi guys, how are you doing today? Totally pumped. Uh, it's not every day we have a blooming onion connoisseur grace our airwaves. Right. We are really thrilled to have you. <laughs> well, I, I think uh, I think after finishing 32nd, eight laps down at Bristol, I had to change my byline from NASCAR driver to blooming onion connoisseur. So we uh, we decided to get a little creative with branding there. <clears throat> you know, you may have finished 32nd, but you were on TV a ton. You, you were all over. <laughs> Yeah, no. You said you said before we started uh, live that all all press is good press, right? So we did get we did indeed get a lot of TV time as we were hitting past all those times. Um, yeah, plenty to talk about for sure about all all this all the happenings in in Stephen Malazzi's racing world for sure. Now, listen. So all of our all of our listeners and, and our audience, we all like to bet on NASCAR. That that's that's what we do. It is you know a growing market and you know, we're we're not gonna we're not gonna bet on any, anything because we don't want to get you in any hot water. So uh, we'll we'll take a little different tone here. Well, Stephen, let me go let ahead. Trade your listeners before you get going. Keep your question in mind, but I will I will give your listeners a little piece of betting advice, uh, or not a piece of betting advice. I can't do that. Not advice, <laughs> just commentary on my experience with NASCAR and betting. I did used to be a member of the NASCAR gambling community. Nice. I did it. I, I wrote articles for tobychristie.com. I did content for the Action Network. Even before I was racing in NASCAR, loved the sport, analyzed it to a T, was pretty damn good at it, if I do say so myself. My first ever NASCAR bet was with my dad in 2021. I decided for the Daytona 500 to place a bet with him, and I had a gut feeling that Michael McDowell was going to win. So I made him put 100 bucks on it, and we made 10 grand off of it. And um, that was a great little moment for me and my dad at 1230 in the morning to to experience that we had won all that money. Um, I was a big DFS guy all throughout 21 and the early part of 22 before, uh, obviously, I got licensed as a NASCAR driver. When you do that, it's a no-no. You can no longer gamble. So I uh, obviously stopped betting at that point, but I used to love doing it. It was one of my favorite things, and sports gambling is, is one of my fortes. I love doing it. Awesome. Well, if uh, you know when your career ends in twenty or twenty-five years, and you're done driving these uh, these NASCAR trucks and Xfinity and Cup, after you lift some Cup Series championships, you're hired. You're in. Uh, nice. People will be happy to have you. Yeah, we're you're you're in. So, um, but my question was, Stephen, you're you know we're both from New Jersey, and we're actually twenty minutes away from your your hometown of Swedesboro. Wow. How does it? Yeah, which is nuts. So. Where did you get started? I, I know it was karting, but but where did you get started racing? So I actually started racing at a uh, indoor rental go kart track in Newcastle, Delaware. It was called Mid Atlantic Grand Prix. Now it's called the Extreme Fun Zone, I think. Um, but when I was nine years old, I was like, "Dad, I'm pretty good at the." I think I won a championship on NASCAR Thunder 04. and I'm like, "Dad, I'm pretty good at these racing games. I bet you'd be great at it in real life." So. He, for my ninth birthday, he took me to a go-kart track and we kicked ass. And for about four years, we did that. And then in 2013 or 14, we went up to Cuddybeckville, New York to Valley Race Park. And uh, we met a guy named Tim Hannon who helped us get our footing in in kart racing um, and like competitive kart racing. And those things are no joke. Like the junior karts will go 75 miles an hour, maybe 80. Open wheel, they they no seat belts. They're, they're freaking crazy stuff. Um, we did that one national championship on my home track was technically, I, I always considered it to be Oakland Valley because that place was like family, but it was three hours away. Geographically, my home track was New Jersey Motorsports Park, which is right in Millville. Right. Um, that's where I won my national Down the street for me. <laughs> well, yeah. You yeah. from Millville? Yeah. It's, it's down the street, five, 10 minutes. Wow. Yeah. yeah that's, that's yeah. where I won my, uh, my national title. I actually met Mike Trout there once too. Uh, pretty, pretty crazy all the way around. That small world, I guess. It, uh, it sure is. It, it sounds you're, like you're a bit like Martin Truex, where every track on the East Coast is his home track. A little bit. Right. Also, though, a little different, right? I, I did 
So we, the way I was, I was brought up from a very well-off family, but not from a racing well-off family, right? Like could not afford to do racing the way that the, the, the elites do it is, is one way of putting it right. And I never have complained about my upbringing. I, my mom and dad have given me every opportunity in the world to their, to the best of their abilities. My dad's a lawyer. Like we're not, we're, we're not like bad off. Um, but we were, we were racing against Matt and Nick Latifi, you know, like, like F1 would, money. Yeah. <laughs> they would show up with a NASCAR sized hauler. At some of these races, some of these cart races and just, you know, I would end up being them. I don't think I ever actually lost to Matt Latifi. Um, might've lost, lost to Nick once or twice, but Matt, I never lost to. Um, and, uh, you know, we would travel all over the place. So, Home track is a relative term. I have us always did best in the uh, in the East Coast, but um, I went everywhere, man. My favorite race was always in Vegas, and that was one of the ones that I always I always kicked ass at too. And I loved going to Vegas because it was so cool. They shut down the parking lot of one of the casinos right off the strip. Cool. It was the Rio, um, which is now like a total junk hole, which makes me sad. Uh, but but uh, they have a they have a pretty good zip line. Yeah, they got yeah. a lot. Of, they've got a lot of stuff there, but unfortunately, with all the casinos in Vegas, you got to be really a good casino to make it happen. Um, but it was sweet, you know. It was it was a badass experience. So I grew up doing go karts in um, twenty sixteen, uh, twenty seventeen. I left the sport because my dad got diagnosed with cancer. Um, walked away, and I was done. And like, there were a few factors to that, right? One of which is my dad was my the most important person in my life at any given moment. Um, so when they told me it's six months to live, that took a, a steep mental toll on me, but also at the same time, you know, I was a 16 year old kid. It's not like I had money on my own to do this stuff. So it, there was no other choice really, but to leave. I kept working and racing in the sport. I built a lot of connections, uh, including with a guy who ended up being in that, sorry, computer orientation in that picture right there behind you, Phil, um, you got a little comp cart background going, um, Bingo. I built a relationship with the comp cart guys who, if I drive, I driver coached for a lot of their team drivers. And if I did that, they allowed me to race in occasional races, which was awesome. Um, and I commentated and that actually led to me getting a job with ESPN a couple of years later. I did uh, broadcasting when I was at Virginia. Um, so a lot of cool stuff, but I never quite satisfied that itch. And when I was 20, I'm sitting in my room, COVID January, right after my birthday, uh, kind of being a, for lack of a better term, kind of being a douchebag to my to my mom and my dad. Dad walks into my room and he's like, you know, what what is your problem? Like, why are you acting this way? What's going on? He sticks his finger right in my face. Or no, sorry. First I say, dad, I never got my shot to race. Then sure. he gets mad, throws his arms up, walks away, turns around, sticks his finger right in my face and says, son, let me tell you something. If I treated my cancer the way you treated racing, I would have been dead five effing years ago. Turns around and walks away. Doesn't say another word to me. For like, Heavy. I think it was like two days. Um, uh, so it was, it was a lot. That was a big thing. So I started making connections, making phone calls. And and within a few weeks, I was living in Charlotte, working for uh, Josh Rain, Rain Brothers Racing, and uh, mm-hmm. making it happen step by step. That is awesome. And, yeah. you know, I, I was going to ask you, um, you know, what you're, what you're driving nowadays on the street, because I read – and, you know, they were talking about at it on the broadcast that you had sold your 2021 Challenger to fund a race. So your dedication is unmatched. Yeah. And it's crazy. So 2021 Charger. Uh, <laughs> sorry. Sorry. Yeah. I'm just busting your balls. Uh, you look like a, a coupe kind of guy. Yeah. So I uh, I did own a Challenger. Challenger was my first car. I bought an 09. Um, my dad had agreed in 2017 to match me whatever I bought. And I basically rolled over the value of that car to buy any other car that I'd ever owned. Um, but what ended up happening was when I started racing late models, um, I found a guy who who had owned a Dodge dealership who was willing to sponsor me, but he didn't want to give me cash. So he gave me a steep discount on a on a scat pack wide body. And that's sweet driving. And for some reason, people on the internet found a reason to shit on me for that. As if like as it so they're like, oh, rich white kid, daddy's money. I'm like, listen, if I was using daddy's money, what in the world makes you think I would have sold that car? Right? Yeah, no. Nothing, nothing. And you could argue that it was daddy's money that got me the car, but dad did not pay for my first car full out. And um, dad did not pay for any car after that. 
Dad did not pay for my late model racing. I did. And I networked with sponsors that got me that deal. And honestly, it's tough to explain how much owning these cars has meant to me. And like, it's funny, I'll, I'll get to this point in a second, but I'm actually back in a bright orange Dodge Charger. My um, man. But owning these cars, right? When, when you're digging, you're doing all this. I used to be a delivery driver. When you always are in your car and you're moving, hustle, 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 it is great to be in something you love. And at the end of the day, when you have a tough 20 hour work day and you have to still drive home and you're like, I have had it, it is nice to just get in a car where you can turn, put your foot down and turn gasoline into loud noises. And like, people don't understand that. To me, that car and every other car I've owned aren't like cars. They're like dogs. They're like pets that you love and that you would you would cry. I I, I crashed one of my cars, got totaled, and I cried. Like I was I was dead detrimentally upset by the fact that I had that I damaged one of these cars. And um I don't think people get how much that meant and what a difficult decision that was. And at the end of the day, I had to ask myself, do I want to be the guy who keeps pursuing this dream? I got an Outback sponsorship in the wings. I, I need to do St. Louis. Do I want to really go after this dream and say I did everything? Or do I want to be the guy who drives a bright orange sports car? And I made up my mind. And I'm like, I want to be this guy. Now, that only lasted about a month. So I, uh, I, I actually ended up buying – I have this guy who's been living in my basement for eight years. I shit you not. He's my old piano teacher. Um, and like, I hate to describe him that way, but, and that's like a very short version of what is actually a, a relatively touching story between Johnny and, and our family. Um, but Johnny has been living in my household with me, my sister, my brother, my mom, and my dad and my dog, Max for eight years now, which is crazy. But at the end of the day, we'll get into that story another time. Next time you have me on Phil, after, Absolutely. after I'm long retired, we'll talk about Johnny. Um, but he, he sold me his 2012 Nissan Altima with 250,000 miles in the bumper hanging off of it, you know, the traditional Altima style for about a thousand, 1500 bucks. And I rode it around and it was awful. It overheated. It smelled like it was about to explode water spewing out of it every day, flat left front tire bumper hanging <laughs> all the classic nine yards. And on the 4th of July, I was at like a, a I felt like I was at a low point, right? Like I had, I'd been going through some, problems in my romantic life i had had some issues with racing i had had i had this indecisiveness about where i wanted to go to law school and what was going on with this and that and at the end of the day it's not like i got into a sports car to drive around and think about it i got into a nissan ultima right uh, that, that made it really difficult and i was like i was like i don't want to be in this car anymore so i made a list of things i'm gonna do to get my head out of the gutter and get back on track and the first thing was figure out a way to get out of the Altima. The next morning, I shit you not, get a phone call. And it is a guy from Lancaster, Pennsylvania, who owns a small car dealership, who says, hey, he's like, is this Steve Malazzi? I'm like, yeah, it is. And he's like, he's like, hey, it's so-and-so over at so-and-so car dealership. And I, I know this information, obviously. I just don't. I don't know if he wants me to talk. Yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, he's like, he's like, I, uh, I, I saw on I, either Fox Sports, one of these media outlets, that you had sold your car to race in St. Louis. Like that's correct. He's like, well, let me tell you something. He's like, I don't have any twenty-one scat packs on my lot, but I do indeed have an 06 RT Daytona, hundred thousand miles, the, the best shape you'll ever see an 06 car in. Um, he's like twelve grand. I'm like, listen, man. I'm like. I don't got 12 grand. I'm like, let's, let's be honest here. I sold my car for a reason. If I had 12 grand, I would have figured right. else out. He's like, come on, check out the car. I promise you we'll figure something out. I'm like, dude, Lancaster's two hours. If I show up and you're like 300 bucks off sticker price, I'm going to be kind of pissed. He's like, I promise you, I love your story. I love racing. Come on, we'll figure it out. And we did. And it was like, it, I think I test drove the car and he's like, Four grand, car is yours. He's like, I want a sticker on your truck at Pocono. I want a couple of garage passes. And um, I will give you a 48-month, 60,000-mile warranty with it too. And I'm like, listen, I'm like, I, I, I did not really have four grand to spend. But I'm like, at that point, the Altima's worth a 1,000. I might as well yep. bite the bullet, find the money, and, and figure it out. I Absolutely. Just, I'm like, I'm like at that point, I'm back into something that maybe isn't exactly what I had before, but it is something I still love and something that I enjoy driving. 
and something that does not make me miserable when I wake up and in the morning and I have to commute or I go home at night or whatever. So I'm like, that was a pretty sweet deal that I've, I've now had two cars that I've brokered because of sponsorship deals. Um, that which I that is an awesome, awesome story. And, you know, touching on Pocono, I, I read that um, you called a guy on a billboard and they ended up sponsoring your, your truck. Like I am just, I'm so impressed with your story that, you know, I just, I, it's, it's incredible to me. Right. There, there are so many aspects to talk about in this regard. Um, we could go on and on about, about each and every story that I've had in my racing career. Um, Martinsville was actually sponsored. If you want to touch on Martinsville real quick. Sure. Actually sponsored by the NASCAR gambling community. Um, oh bunch, yeah, that's right. I, bunch I of remember people. that. It was Nick Giffen and Jordan McCavey from the, uh, their action network and Roto baller. I think specifically yeah, shout out, shout out Roto doc on the yeah, show here. Roto, exactly. Yeah. They do stacking Denny's, which is a gambling podcast. They were my primary. They did. They gave me money to do the race and they did a fundraiser. Um, Ryan Stevens win the race was, uh, was another big guy who was on board with that one. Um, uh, so, oh my God, I know his name. It's on the tip. Uh, Greg Mathern, garage guys. Yep. He, um, he was a, he was a big supporter, like a bunch of people. And it's all because I had had all these jobs previously in, in the NASCAR gambling sphere that these people are like, yeah, let's get him back in a race car for the race, which spitballed into St. Louis, which I had to do to get approved for Pocono. We had a sponsor deal online for Pocono to get Josh Carr. Um, and uh, Josh was the guy who brokers all my deals, even the ones with AM Racing. Uh, Josh Okay. Rainey. Yeah. Um, and that was kind of part of the ordeal there. Sponsor bills Friday before the race. Well, it's incredible. Most, most businesses are closed on Saturday, Sunday. So I'm digging. I'm scrambling. I had, a, I had an agent looking out for me. I tried to get something done. Uh, almost had a deal with Ollie's Bargain Barn. Um, couldn't close it. Like we did a bunch of stuff. Monday, Tuesday, nothing. Tuesday morning, I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm going to have to drive out of this race. I, I don't got it. Like I'm done. I drive up to the Poconos. Okay. Drive up there and I'm just going to start walking into businesses. Literally walking into businesses and being like, hey, you know, NASCAR is a big draw to the mountains at this time of year. Here's, here's. I'm racing in the race. Let's let's get something going. I don't even get to my first business. By the way, it, it, for people who don't know the geography of Pennsylvania and New Jersey, it's not like it's a 15-minute drive to the Poconos. It's two hours. It's not close. It's it's a couple hours, right? And, and PA is a big state. <laughs> right. Thank goodness at this point I have a, a, an orange Dodge Charger to right. drive in. Um, so really, it took me an hour and a half. My uh, man, but um, I don't even. I, I'm at. There's a light. If you take the exit to get off of Jim Thorpe, there's a light where if you go right, you're right at Pocono Speedway, and if you go left, you're you're heading towards like the resorts and the mountains and stuff. And I'm at that light, and at that light, there's there. And I and I told Mike and Kim this. The owners of GreatPoconoHomes.com. I'm like, this is one of the ugliest colored billboards I have ever seen. It is like a vomit <laughs> yellow and a and a. And a Philadelphia Phillies red kind of a deal. Um, I took a picture of the billboard. I'll, I'll have to send it to you guys so you, so you can see it. Um, but I'm like, man, that looks like the kind of company that wants to get on a NASCAR race car. So I, I memorized the phone number. Still to this day, have it somewhat memorized. Um, and uh, I, I remember the guy picking up the phone. He's like, this is Mike. Um and I'm like, hey, is this greatpokernohomes.com? He's like, yeah, I'm, I'm the owner. I'm like, hey, Mike, I'm so happy to talk to you, man. I'm like, listen, buddy, do you want to get on a NASCAR race car this Friday? Or yeah, this Friday. He's like, he's like, what do you mean? I'm like, well, I'm I'm the driver of the number 22A. I'm racing Ford F150. I'm like, my sponsor build. I'm like, I, I'm I just need money to get to the racetrack. I'm like, I'm not even asking for full retail value. I just need enough to cover the difference between what is left in my bank account and what will get me to the racetrack. He's like, you're the driver. I'm like, yeah. He's like, I did not expect drivers to be making cold calls like this. I'm like, let me tell you something. Small time race car drivers do not have it easy. Like we, we will call everyone and anyone to get to the racetrack. He's like, listen, he's like, I love your story. He's like, it sounds like you're in a crunch. He's like, send me what I need to know. I'll send you the money today. I'm like, 
no in way that just happened and um yeah mike 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 didn't even get to see the race he was in south dakota um his a lot of his family came to the event a lot of his employees came to the event and then we all went out to dinner afterward they are greatpoconohomes.com if you need a house in the poconos you too greatpoconohomes.com but also also they are literally some of the nicest people i have ever interacted with in my life like it's unfathomable how nice they are as human beings. Um, and for them to do that for me was probably one of one of the coolest things to ever happen to me in racing. Um, and, and Mike had expressed to me, I, I really hope Mike and I can get in touch again next year for something like this. Um, because Mike had expressed to me how much he um, admired the fact that I was cold calling people like that. And um, that really meant a lot to hear him say that and then actually act on it and decide to to sponsor us in in the race um it was pretty badass yeah, yeah and just, by the way i would argue that that pocono was was our like mid ohio we finished 22nd probably should have finished 17th if my 34 lap down teammate didn't decide to punt me with two to go um but i remember that i remember yeah, that I, I was pissed but 22nd lead lap finish mid ohio was our best career finish right which is by the way for the small team we're racing for phenomenal 22nd is a great finish for us um Pocono was 24th, but it was 24th on a lot of speed. Like, I think there were 29 or 30 cars running at the finish, and we beat six of them on, like, just because we were faster than them. And that's a big accomplishment for our guys. That is an important thing to do, um, especially when you consider the fact that the biggest track I'd ever been on before that was half the size of Pocono. Um, right. You could basically fit Gateway on the front stretch of Pocono Raceway. Um so uh, to have those guys on board and get them a decent finish like that, we avoided a, a pretty crazy accident. Got some decent TV time there. Um, I, I was really happy that we got to do that. And I'm, I'm really grateful for Mike and Kim and all those guys over at Great Pumpkin Homes for doing that with me. Yeah. I mean, it, it sounds like, you know, being a, a, a small team driver, just it comes with a whole different set of, of circumstances. So, like, what, what would you say is – like the greatest obstacle and, and what does it look like um you know to get to the track like how how far in advance do you have these things planned out like what you know like how, how far down the road did you know that like i'm racing gateway i'm racing pocono it depends martinsville was two weeks okay i i literally i i, I had decided i retired okay and this is this is crazy if you read i did i read a series of articles on tobychristie.com called the memoirs of a small time racing driver and it's all about my experience on a race by race basis. Some people love it. Some people hate it. Some people are like, this kid's a whiner. Um, I don't really want to hear it. And that's not what I'm doing. I'm really just telling other people are like, man, it's crazy to see what these small time drivers go through. That's what I'm trying to do. I'm just expressing the and the whole underlying theme of this is the 110 people who have seats in NASCAR are probably not the 110 best race car drivers in the U S they're just not. And like in reality, there's probably some kid in Iowa that you and I will never hear of who can kick Kyle Larson's ass behind the wheel. It's, it's the sad reality of a sport like racing where you have to have a shitload of money just to get to the racetrack. So Martinsville, after mid-Ohio, I'm like, this is not economically feasible. This is not something I can continue doing. It is not something I, I think I can commit the time to with, with law school and undergrad and this and that. Turns out I graduated from uh, the University of Virginia semester early in December. Go who's? I had a whole semester open to do whatever the hell I wanted. I was feeling a little down in the dumps. <clears throat> in March, I had uh, – it was the season opener for the kart racing season at New Jersey Motorsports Park. So I came home for the weekend because the guys over at Comp Kart needed my help for, for a weekend. And obviously I feel indebted to them. They – they were my original sponsor. That's a big deal. Um, and I went up there and I worked. And on Sunday night, one of my best friends from high school, he ended up being my spotter at Mid-Ohio. He's a great friend of mine. Um, called me. He was like, hey, come on up. Spend some time with me. We'll, we'll go out. We'll make it a night. You know, leave on Monday morning because I, I had stuff to do on Monday in Charlottesville. And I'm like, man, I'm really feeling sick. I don't want to go. And then this whole series of circumstance happens where I end up up there and I meet all these people that that Noah, this kid, was friends with who all know about my entire racing lore. And it's crazy because it had clearly meant so much to Noah 
that he had told all of his friends about it. By the way, one of those friends ended up being the girl who was causing me problems after Gateway and before Pocono. Ironic. Yeah, we're, enough, we're, but we're not we're not big fans of her on this podcast. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> well, we'll address that another time. This is about racing. Um, so I uh, I was so inspired by the fact that Noah had done this and had talked about me so highly to these people that I decided, why am I just giving up on it? And I literally ended up staying up there for a week and a half um, in, in, in this small rural college in Catholic school, Catholic university in Allentown or Center Valley, Pennsylvania. It's, it's the sales university the sales, uh, yeah. Um, for a week and a half. And I just, it was crazy because for that week and a half, I had like an actual college experience. I've never had a normal college experience between, oh, freshman year, COVID happened. Then I moved to Charlotte. Then I was NASCAR driver. Then I was this, that, and all the other. Um, and it was weird. I just, I had a year and a half or a, a week and a half where things were normal. And I recharged and I called Josh at the end of that week. And I'm like, we're going to do Martinsville. I'm going to find you the money and we're going to do freaking Martinsville. Even if I have to sell my car to do it. And the deal for these races, all the races that we had done before I sold my car were, my car was collateral for crash damage. If I wrecked mm. the car and caused crash damage, I'd have to sell my car to cover the difference. Um, so pressure. Yeah, a lot of yeah. <laughs> crash. Um, so yeah, um, Gateway, I probably knew about a month in advance, right? I had to sell my car. I had to go through all that, all the motions of the ocean. And I searched, Gateway was so demoralized because not only did I search super hard for all of these sponsors um, that I couldn't end up sealing the deal on, I, I also sold my car and the battery died on lap 30, 27 or 26. And that was destructive. That hurt like a mother trucker. Like that sucked. Um, and, I, and I think Fox picked up some of the audio of the minor meltdown I had about the whole race because I had actually expressed concerns at the end of qualifying that the voltage was going bad. Um, what turns out happened, and this is just unbelievable, the entire positive terminal ripped straight through. Like not not on the end where it connects to the battery, like the cord, the wire itself ripped in half. Oof. I've never seen anything like it in my life. And I was just devastated that that's how that race started off. And I rode around in 140 degree weather, 13 laps down for the rest of the day. And it, and it was that, it was got it. It was a, it was like I walked up on a stage butt ass naked and everybody just laughed at me. That's mm. not, that's kind of how I felt. <laughs> like that's a weird yeah. way to describe it, but that's how I felt. I was, yeah. it was not a good time for me. Um, and then Pocono, I knew for weeks I was doing Pocono. I basically knew after Gateway, after I got approved, they approved me for Pocono after Gateway that I would end up doing Pocono. And then Bristol, um, we had had in the works with Outback that we were going to do that race for probably the deal probably started in May and the deal came about because of a tweet I sent after Martinsville. After Martinsville, we had another battery problem, by the way, in Martinsville. Uh, finished last. It was brutal. It was a six-hour race because of rain delays. I got back to my apartment in Charlottesville at like 3.30 in the morning. And then the next morning, I was up and serving people their blooming onions. And I tweeted about it. And the tweet went viral. And I tagged an Outback marketing director. And she saw it and she sent it down the chain of command and it set back up. And um, that's how, that's when the whole Outback steakhouse deal started. If you look at my Twitter, it is just all bombardment of Outback positive media. Um, and like, what's crazy about it is I love Outback steakhouse. And like, I'm not saying that because they, they paid me to say it. I'm saying it because even when we were kid, when I was a kid growing up with my dad and we'd go kart racing, after every kart race, whether we were in Cuddybackville, New York, Millville, New Jersey, Las Vegas, Florida, California, Texas, did not matter. You know what we'd find? An Outback Steakhouse. And we would go get a six-ounce sirloin. I'd get a baked potato and, and a house salad, lettuce, cheese, croutons, oil and vinegar every freaking race Sunday. And that's what we do. And every birthday from the time I was like 14 to 19 minutes, like, you want to go out somewhere nice for dinner? But no, no Outback Steakhouse. I'm like that's what I, I want to blew it on well, that 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 is a perfect segue because I found online here the top five dishes 
from Outback. And as a Outback connoisseur, I wanted to see where you agree and disagree with this list. Well, the Blumenine's got to be one of them, right? That is a firm number one. That makes and then, uh, so uh, number two is the Aussie fries. It looks like that's a some sort of cheese and yeah, bacon yeah. And, and sour yeah. cream. Yeah, the cheese, bacon, bits, ranch. I, I would have put that in the top five, so that's two. All right. Uh, number three is the ribeye, followed okay. by number number four, the filet mignon and lobster. And then number five is the baked potato that you mentioned. Wow. So I agree with three out of five. I don't know if the ribeye – I'd put the ribeye in my top five. Um, only because I think – I think when you're making a top five list of Outback Steakhouse foods, you have to include a non like a like an entree that isn't a steak item. So I would say the Alice Springs chicken should probably be on the top five. Um, All right, well that, that's up. number eight. That's number eight. So number these, eight. these folks, they, okay. obviously, yeah. we have to trust you over this list, right? So they they got they actually didn't do a bad job. I don't I don't actually hate this list at all. Um, got my go to is the is the fillet and lobster. Now, obviously. I didn't used to get that. I used to get this. I just told you I used to get the six ounce sirloin. Now that I work there, I get 50% off. And, oh, man. and I'll be honest with you. A lot of the restaurants I've been to in the past couple of months have just gave, given me my food, <laughs> which is well, a great, I mean, it's well, a there you go. deal. I mean, Why not, right? I'll get free Outback. I'm a broke college kid. Well, lost yeah, I guess. if I owned an Outback franchise, you'd be, you'd get the free for life card. I mean, you're, yeah. you're our kind of guy. Well, you know, it's crazy. Hold on. Let me, I've got my wallet in my pocket here. I'll show you guys and we can describe what this is because I this is just audio, I think. So I got about a thousand of these that I have to give away. Oh, nice. It's they a are, uh, it's a card, it's got your name on it. It looks they like are, they are free blooming onion cards. Whew. Um that I, that I am that I am authorized to give to people. So what I've been doing is everybody who sends me a hero card request. <laughs> Getting a free blooming onion back with their hero card. Um, the sheer power that you hold right yeah. now. Is, so, it's incredible. That's what I always tell people. I'm like, listen, I'm like, some people have superpowers, right? Some people are like super good at math, and some people can hit a baseball 500 feet. You know what I could do? I could get you a free blooming onion, baby. And I'm like, at the end of the day, I've got like five grand of blooming onions, okay? Do you got that? No. No, you don't. So that, that, In today's economy, that might be more valuable than money. I'm yeah. telling you. That, you know yeah. what? The, the value of money isn't anchored. The value of a blooming onion absolutely is. So It's, um, it's incredible. It, it, yeah. it's, you, you are a hero to many, and nobody will go hungry okay. when they're around Stephen no, Mosey. That's, at least, that's it. At least if we're near an Outback Steakhouse, we won't. Um, yeah. Well, you know, the Outback deal is just a crazy thing to me. I, I still – I still haven't wrapped my head around it. I really wish that at Martinsville, I feel like we were probably a 30th place truck. And with some carnage, we could have finished in the top 25. Pocono, I think we were probably right around there, 30th, 28th place truck. And that's, we ended up 24th, a little bit of carnage. Gateway, I feel like we were 29th, 30th place truck. And with all the carnage, I bet you we would have finished inside the top 20 had we not have had that battery problem. Yeah, I mean the the brakes were a big issue, uh, you know, on that track for yeah. you know that the entire weekend. Oh yeah, and we were better. We were better than jo Josh was in a sister truck, right? So Josh was in the thirty three, I was in the thirty four, um, and we were faster than Josh. We a hundred percent were quicker than Josh, and Josh finished twenty first. Yep. Um, so I, I I was really disappointed because I feel like we had a top twenty in the bag. Um, if not for that battery issue, like all these races, I, I feel like have gone at, at mid Ohio. We finished 22nd, right? Like we've, we've had either speed or luck, right? We've had one of the two. Um, and at Pocono, I thought we had a little bit of both, which is why we, we did well. Mark or Bristol, we had neither, which really stunk because at the end of the day, that was the race where I kind of said, Hey everybody, look, I'm NASCAR driver, Stephen Malazzi, and I'm good enough to get Outback Steakhouse on board with me. And I think a lot of people did look, and we sort of hit the bed. But that was not that was not the result I wanted at all from that. Um, and Bristol, out of the five tracks I've done, and even if you throw in the five or four or five um, late model short tracks I've done as well, Bristol's the most complicated by far. I mean, it is just a mentally exhausting, difficult racetrack, and, and it's why. 
drivers who are good at Bristol, irrespective of equipment, do well at Bristol, right? Like you watched Matt Benedetto for years, do well at Bristol, no matter what car he was in. BK Racing, sixth. 95 mm-hmm. car with uh, Levine family, second. Should have won that race. Um, Kevin Harvick, Stuart Haas in the crapper this year. 29th, five laps down or whatever yeah, it was. That yep. was bad. But every other year outside of this year in his historically long career, he has been phenomenal at Bristol. And, like, I don't know what the hell happened this year. Uh, they just clearly missed it. And and I think even Harvick said it. And at this point, I, I don't think Kevin could give a damn. I think he's just ready to, to be done with it. Um, and more focused on on his future with, with Keelan probably in his racing. Um, and I don't want to speak for Kevin, but that's just what I think. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's one of those tracks that's, especially for somebody who is as inexperienced as I am, because I'll I'll be honest with you, out of all the drivers who are licensed to race this year, I'm probably one of the least experienced. Um, so I have to really grind and take advantage of what I've got. Not to mention all the guys who came up three or four years ago, got an hour of practice, right? You know, not anymore. I get 15 minutes in a roll of toilet paper to wipe my ass with because because yeah. I'm, I'm crapping myself going around Bristol at 110 yeah. miles an hour. It's yeah. ridiculous. It's it's like holy moly. I think at the very least, I think the Cup guys would really want it back. I think Xfinity wants it back, and I think for sure the truck guys need it back. It's it is the only value I still see in doing ARCA racing is all the practice. You need freaking practice time to get good at these racetracks. And I think, you know, that combined with the fact that Josh even admitted it to me, man, I feel like we just missed it. Like the truck just missed it. Even the 33 was not great. Um, And it was basically a battle between me and Greg Van Ost fighting for, for who was going to be the slowest on the racetrack all day. (laughs) Well, we're, um, we're not big Greg Van Alst fans on this pod. In fact, Steve takes him out behind the woodshed every time they're on iRacing together. So uh, I wouldn't go that far, but I have seen him multiple times on that service, and uh, I've beaten him once, once or twice. Yeah, but you know, you, to to speak to your your take on the practice time, you know it's valuable because you see all these Cup guys dropping down to Xfinity for track time, and the Xfinity guys uh, dropping down to trucks, or even the Cup guys in trucks to to get that extra track time. It is a huge disservice, in our opinion, that, you know, practice is 15 minutes. It, it's That's absolutely insane. Yeah, and, and obviously, like I said, and the reason why I feel like – I feel like the arguments for why cups should have it and trucks should have it are different, right? Trucks need it because all of – the reason why it's such a shit show is because you send people out there with 10 minutes on a racetrack, like 10 minutes of drive time because they probably spend five on pit road making adjustments and they probably get 10, 10 minutes of racing. 10 minutes of track time and expect them to go 250 laps without making a mistake around 35 other trucks. And it's not going to yeah. happen. It's not the time to make those mistakes are when they're alone running laps in practice. Um, the argument for cup getting it is it's the top series, right? So theoretically the best team should win, right? Um, and in order to find out who the best team is, you should find out who can make the best adjustments and who actually brought the best race car, not who unloaded with the best race car. Right. Um, and I feel like those are – people want to see the most talented racing drivers at the front. And if you put – especially with this with this new guy, it's even a bigger problem, right? Because if you qualify at a track um, like Texas – actually, Texas is a perfect example. Yeah. Texas, you're not passing anyone. You're not going to do it under green flag. You are not going to make a pass. So if you unload and you only get 20 minutes of practice, you're like, well, I guess we just suck this weekend because when we qualify 29th, it's going to be tough to make it inside the top 10. Yeah. You have to get off schedule to, to get track. We saw that this weekend on on Sunday. Yeah. You you know, you have to get off schedule and a crap ton of cars crashed, but yeah. And um, uh, tires, tires didn't matter. You know, we, we saw at the end of that, that race, you know, um, uh, Busher took tires and uh, several other front runners took tires and it, and they never got back up front. You cannot yeah. pass at Texas. You, you need an 80 or 90 lap run. Maybe. Yep. Yeah. I would say 60 lap run. A, a, a full fuel run. A fuel. Uh, yes, exactly. Yeah. A full 60 laps, 60 laps of green. We saw it. There was one run where it was either in the middle of stage, one of the middle of stage two, where it went green all the way to the end of the stage after a caution. And it was only like 15 laps on the tires or 16 laps on the tires. 
And at the end of the run, I think it was Larson who got to lead first, was four or five tenths faster than Bubba Wallace, who was, who was on old tires. And Bubba fell through the field, and the guys on new tires started making their way up. The problem is with the way Texas is, with the not only is it a terrible passing racetrack, but somehow people still crash on it. <laughs> so, so, and actually, I take that back. They go hand in hand. People try to make passes that they probably can't make because it's so hard to pass, which leads right. to more crashes. That's, Desperation. Yes. So, well, the PGA wanted is an atrocity. Why? They still haven't. <laughs> why? Why did we put it down? What was the point? I don't know. Yeah. I, I got to yeah. be careful about what I say about NASCAR because – before you right, let, let, let's talk about something else before we get the, the Stephen Melosi fired up hour. Right. Um, <laughs> I'll have a band of 11. <laughs> before we move on from practice, I got to ask a lot of the, the argument is that, you know, the, the lower teams with less practice, you know, kind of benefit because they're not learning as the, the bigger teams aren't learning as much on track. So I don't know what your opinion on that, you know, are the bigger teams learning more with more practice and it maybe help them. You know, I don't, I don't know what the argument is to, to you know, decrease, practice time at the end of the day if if rbr rainbows racing had more practice we would probably just understand how to make our trucks faster than what we have better um that's the reality of it right um as a matter of fact i think it would benefit the small teams more if they could do it think about it this way okay if you're a ford team and you're running or you know let's use chevy in the truck series because there's so many chevy teams if you're a top-ranking Chevy team, a lot of times you have access to the data of all the other top-ranking Chevy teams, and you know what they're doing, and you know that if what they're doing is working, you could probably get close to what they're doing and figure it out. What we have in terms of equipment is not the same as what Thor Sport or Front Row has. So when we see what Thor Sport and Front Row are doing, if we try to do the same thing, our springs don't travel the same way theirs do. Our chassis aren't built the same way theirs are. They're very different. Our motors aren't brand new like theirs are. Like, there's so many factors that go into it. And money buys so much speed, right? We're searching for tenths and and sometimes even seconds, which we are more likely to find if we make adjustments. The guys at the front are searching for hundreds. The the hundreds are not going to make a difference in how badly we get crushed in terms of speed. However, the tenths we find in practice might make a difference between losing three laps or losing one and being able to fight for the lucky dog when there's a caution-filled end of a race. Like, it's it's a big deal. I don't think people get that when it comes to being a small team driver. Yeah, no, that, that totally makes sense. Steve and I are both bowlers. So, you know, we can kind of put it in perspective. Like, Steve would be like trying to – a 220 average guy finding an extra pin or two was compared to the 140 guy – can make the the 20 pin improvement to 160 right. a lot easier yeah great comparison yeah. many of your viewers who are bowling <laughs> yeah you know who, who, that's a very very uh, niche group of bowling nascar betters is who we just who we just yeah. talked to there like, yeah. equipment is very important in that sport too <laughs> <laughs> but, i don't know I, I don't know if you ever would spend one hundred and sixty thousand dollars on a bowling ball for one match but that's just not quite uh, <laughs> true. But let me ask you this, Stephen: When do you have any more races planned this year? Or, or um, not? I'm seeing a, a shake of the head there. I was hoping for Talladega. Obviously not. Okay. I'm sitting in my apartment in in North Philadelphia right now. Um, so that's not that's not a thing. Um, and right now it just looks like I have to focus on law school. Uh, sure. I, I'm, I'll be honest with you. Doing Bristol kicked my rear end. It was a lot of work. It was 18 to 20 hour days every day between press and dealing with the sponsor release from Outback, dealing with all the logistical stuff we had to get done and actually, excuse me, traveling to and from the track. Um, like I, I, I drove back from Bristol that night. Like I got back, I left at midnight. I got back around 9am, went to class. I, I can't miss Man. it. The, yeah. the, uh, American Bar Association mandates that you can only miss a certain amount of classes when you're in law school. I can't afford it. Same thing. Same thing. I did the next Tuesday when I had to go to Virginia and do a bunch of outback appearances. Monday night, finished class. I left. I got in around two or three a.m. I uh, woke up at nine. Went to Outback. Was there from ten to one. Drove to my second appearance between one and three. News interview from three to three thirty with the local CBS station. Uh, outback appearance from four to seven. Back back in my apartment by two. Incredible. That's a, a very, um, very hectic schedule. Yeah. 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 And like at the end of the day, if if I 
I think I'm hardworking and diligent enough to figure that out for one week. I, there's a certain point, though, where no matter how hard you work, you just don't have enough time in the day to get it done. Right. Uh, and I think if I tried to do anything else this year, which there's only three races left, and one of them's already off the table because it's in two days or three days. Um, but with Phoenix and Homestead, I, I it is what it is, man. I, I just – I. I can't be bothered. I'm going to start working on next year. Um, give myself a nice buffer four or five months before we got to worry about it and figure it out as we go. Yeah. I mean, we're talking West coast track. So the, the travel would be a nightmare. I'm sure, especially for a, you know, fellow East coast resident, but that leads me into my next question. Um, silly season. It's upon us. We're seeing a lot of drivers jostle around. Um, you know, does that create opportunities for you? Are you getting any calls as, you know, for some one-offs or anything like that to fill some seats? Nope. Not, not it, yet. It, not way to be positive about it, Phil. Um, I'll be honest with you. There's a very limited number of drivers who get phone calls to fill seats. Um, and you look up and down the truck series roster. Most of the people who are behind the wheels of high tier rides are people whose parents or close relative owns the company that sponsors them. Sure. Uh, even Riley Herbst, we're looking at you. Yeah, Money bags. I, I mean, Custer is a Storehouse executive. Herbst is Cindric. Yep, Cindric. Um, Logano's dad is super wealthy. Uh, like Stenhouse's parents are super wealthy. Um, but like, let's if we're really focusing on the truck series here. I mean, you run your your eyes up and down the roster. There's maybe like three drivers who are in here based on talent, and a lot of them are drivers who have long. And a few of them are drivers who have long-standing sponsor relationships, like a Matt Craft and who's been, who, you know, Menards loves them. They've had them for 10, 15 years now, and he'll be able to race with them as long as he wants. Or Enfinger, who has champion. I mean, those are, those are, those are deals that were brokered long before these young guns who like, I could, I could get into it. I don't think I should, but there was, there was a driver who really pissed me off at Bristol. Okay. Um, He came up to me and basically asked me if I had had a spotter or if I was just an idiot. Um, and I'm like, I think I know who this is. <laughs> if, you, if you could say, did you watch there? I said in one other interview, uh, uh, if, yeah. you, if you, if you say who it is, I'll nod my head for you, Steve. It's the 43, right? Yeah. That's yeah. Phil, it's, it's the guy I, I, I race with a lot. Uh, yeah. 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 <laughs> and you know, I'm like, I'm like, wow, that is a blatant thing to say to me. Um, Cause he told me I was all over the place. And I'm like, listen, man, I've never been to Bristol before. I'm like, I, I'll be honest with you. My spotter was a little late on the calls, but I don't, I, I if you can't pass me when I'm nine tenths off the pace, I don't know what you want from me. Sure. Like, yeah. Like in reality, at the end of the day, we have the same amount of top tens this year and you've done every race in the GMS truck. And I've done five in a Ray brothers racing truck. Yeah. Guy's not great. Uh, I mean, it's not great. you know what it is though. It, if here's what I always tell people, right? If my dad owned 12 car dealerships in the Daytona area and had enough money where he could write off expenses constantly, I guarantee you I'd be in a GMS ride and I bet you I wouldn't be all over the place. Sure. It's just, no, there's, go ahead. Sorry. You go, you go, Phil. I was just going to say like, there is nothing more than, than we would love to help you out somehow. So I don't know who listens to the show. You know, we, we, I see the numbers there, the people listen. So that's cool. I don't know who it is. But if somebody wants to help you out, how do they go about it? How do they find you? What 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 can we do for you? Yeah, I mean, probably if you want to help out in a small way, right? Like, and just here's a few bucks. StephenMalazicGear.com. Uh, my, I get, I have a very, I have a lovely lady who does my merch. Her name is Julie. Borderline unique. Um, she runs everything from top to bottom. She basically takes everything it costs, um, deducts the cost from. Uh, the the price of the shirt and it gives me the rest. So that's a good way to help out if you're if you're small if you're feeling it. I I did have a GoFundMe, but in good conscience I turned it off. And and here's why: like I did it for Mid Ohio, and that made sense to me, right? And I and I put a bunch of people in the decklet of my race truck. Um, I cannot. There's a point where you have to stop asking fans for money like that. Um, you have to really try and find it from a sponsor's perspective. Um, so if people want to buy my merch and get something out of it and like, they, they want to support me in that way. I'm all for that, right? Like my shirts are badass. I think they're really cool. They're nice shirts. Um, so I really, I, if that's how you want to give me a few bucks, do it. 
if we're talking like more in the, the thousands level and you want to do a sponsorship deal, just reach out to me on Twitter. Um, either reach out to me what, on Twitter. What's your out, handle, Steven? Reach out to Phil. It's uh, at Driver Malaz. D-R-I-V-E-R-M-A-L-L-O-C-C. Um, or just like reach out to Phil. I guarantee Phil will put you in touch with the right people. You could also leave a comment on my website, uh, stevenmalazgear.com, and uh, it'll get to me some way or another if, if that's something you're interested in. Um, obviously, we're always looking for new partners, always looking for something to do. And uh, I, I'm looking forward to getting on the track next year. We would, there's nothing we would love to see more than that, Steve. Uh, you know, we're, we're big fans. It has just been an absolute honor to have you on the show and, and to get to get to break bread with you a little bit. So, uh, Captain Shock, Steve, do you have any more questions for Steven? No, not really. I, in the beginning, I kind of want to mention how good NASCAR 2004 was. 2003, 2004, those, those games were the, that was, those are the times, man. This was the last thing before we get rocket. I interviewed with Kenny Wallace and I talked to Kenny about it. And if you've, if you ever played up for, you know, that Kenny was in the 23 stacker Dodge and that car was usually in your back of the pack. So when you're first starting out and you're fighting for 37th place, a lot of right, times right. drivers will bump doors with this Kenny. And no matter how many seasons I did, I could not stop wrecking that son of a bitch. Every <laughs> freaking time it was Kenny. Well, and I told him that I'm like, Kenny, I'm like, you were, it was him and Brett Bodine. And I said the same thing to Brett Bodine, who is now the director of competition for NASCAR. So he's the guy we have to go through to get licensed. And I said the same thing to Brett when I was trying to improve it. Brett, let me tell you something, man. You gave, you gave me the hardest time on NASCAR Thunder 2004. I'm like, I'm like you could have made it easy on me. Listen, the same thing's happening to Kenny right now in the SRX series. We saw a lot of that uh, this year. You know, the guy the guy wrecked a lot. So, yeah. um, no, no, no harm in that, Stephen. Not, yeah. not at all. Yeah. But, uh, again, we, we really appreciate you coming on the show. We'll definitely have you back. Um, you know, we would love, love to see you on the track next year. Uh, for all of us here at the Backdoor Cover Network, have a great day. Thanks for having me on, guys. Appreciate you. Thank you.